this is episode 6 of Karthik Reads and we are reading Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. So we are reading the second part of the book called The Soul, The Spirit, where he talks about the soul. And we are starting with a chapter titled Heal the Inner Child. He opened by a quote from Fred Rogers, The child is in me still and sometimes not so still. In this chapter, he talks about Leonardo da Vinci and uh, he also gives another brilliant examples of talking about how we are affected by what we go through our childhood and we actually never look into it. And I can relate to it through to something which I've read is, um, I don't know if you guys know about attachment theories. And if you guys don't know, you might want to look it up. It's really interesting to know about it. So attachment theories, people actually develop most of their uh, attachment theories to um, during their childhood and it affects the way they act in their adult relationships and this chapter also a little bit touches on that part is that how the stuff we went through the childhood is actually causing the disturbance yet and if you don't actually um, pay attention to it or like treat it properly accept it or heal the inner child you'll never be able to be still you'll never be able to empty your mind you'll always have thoughts going throughout your mind now let's read it so the source of our anxiety and worry the frustrations that seem to suddenly pop out in inappropriate situations the reason we have trouble staying in relationships or ignoring criticism it is in us well it is us just not adult us it's the seven-year-old living inside us. The one who was hurt by mom and dad, the sweet, innocent kid who wasn't seen. It's like really interesting to understand. Like one would say, I had a, like, okay, I, I don't think so, it matters. But it does matter if you don't actually address it properly. Here Ryan says, as Fraud explained, we all demand repression, repression for our early wounds to our narcissism. Thinking we are owed because we were wronged or deprived. This was Tiger Woods to the detail. Like just how in the last previous chapter, Ryan actually talked in detail how Tiger Woods' childhood affected what Tiger Woods did in the adulthood. So, and uh, let's move ahead. Let's read this. Okay. Take the time to think about the pain you carry from your early experiences. Think about the age of the emotional reactions you have when you are hurt or betrayed or unexpectedly challenged in some way. That's your inner child. They need a hug from you. They need you to say, Hey buddy, it's okay. I know you're hurt, but I'm going to take care of you. The functional adult steps in to reassert and reassure to make stillness possible. And here he um, ends the chapter with a quote by, I really like this quote by Gary Sheldon. And uh, Gary Shandling, I'm sorry. He wrote this, um, he suffered through this throughout his whole life. And he addressed it to his in his journal and he in his diary he wrote this quotation which says give more give what you didn't get love more drop the old story try it if you can that was really interesting and um yeah this is really important part that you address what you've been through the childhood ignoring it would not help you at all at all next chapter is one of my favorite chapters in this book it's called Beware desire. It opens up with a quotation from Alexander Dumas. Every man has a passion gnawing away at the bottom of his heart, just as every fruit has its warmth. It's really interesting that 
he opens up Brian opens up this chapter with the example of uh, Kennedy that um, how his sex drive actually affected his life and um, that he actually uh, he actually talks about in this paragraph that uh, even during the Cuban missile crisis when the world was like literally on his shoulders like one decision and the just whole world could get over he was actually in a hotel room pretty close to white house with a 19 year old and um, which is like really interesting to take in that when you have so much of stuff going on his desires were still there to actually distract him to actually take away that stillness even though he like there are good parts and the bad parts to every person right and he performed really well during the cuban missile crisis but still just like take notice how his desires took him to do that thing when he was brink of a nuclear war he brought in a 19 year old from Wheaton college for rendezvous in a hotel near the white house here was a man who had no idea how much longer he would live who was working with inhuman dedication in that crisis to curb the dangerous impulses of his nation's enemies cheating on his wife choosing to spend what are potentially his last moments on earth in the sheets with a random girl half his age instead of his with instead of with his wife and vulnerable family it's that doesn't sound like stillness at all it sounds like a man who is spiritually broken at the whims of his worst impulses unable to think clearly or prioritize do do, do we not fall prey to various desires in our own personal lives like before we judge kennedy do we not know better and do it anyway like ask yourself lust is a destroyer of peace in our lives lust for a beautiful person lust for an orgasm lust for someone other than the one we have committed to be with lust for power lust for dominance lust for other people's stuffs lust for fanciest best most expensive things that money can buy a person enslaved to their urges is not free whether they are a plumber or the president how many great men and women end up losing everything end up in some cases literally behind the bars because they freely chose to indulge their endless appetites whatever they happen to be and at least power and sex and attention are pleasurable the most common form of lust is envy the lust for what other people have for the sole reason that they have it joseph absence brilliant liners of the seven deadly sins only envy is no fun at all it's really interesting like he says an envious man paints himself as though he were an enemy it's sobering to consider that the rival we are so jealous of may in fact be jealous of us and you know how we say we think about people and we like oh, i would like to trade places with them but if you had to trade places with entirely with the person you envy you had to give up your brain your principles your proudest accomplishments to live in their life would you do it are you willing the uh, to pay the price they paid to get what you covet obviously no right and apicurus here says something really interesting sex has never benefited any man and it's a marvel if it hasn't injured him he came up with a really good test any time he felt himself being pulled by a strong desire what will happen to me if i get what i want how will i feel after this is something i've really started doing it 
before anything I feel like I'm doing wrong or it's my desire or my impulses, I ask this question, how am I going to feel when it gets over? And um, in the next place, they talk about something really interesting. So Apicurans, so to the Apicurans, real pleasure was about freedom from pain and agitation. Okay, so here he talks about something really interesting. So if wanting something makes you miserable while you don't have it, doesn't that diminish the true value of the reward? If getting what you want has its consequences, is that really pleasurable? If the same drive that helps you achieve initially also leads you to inevitably to overreach or overdo, is it really an advantage? I mean, I, when I read this, I actually stopped reading for five minutes and I actually thought through the line that think about the stuff we want. And um, right in the moment, I tell you that you got it all. How do you feel now? And now I take it away. Does it make it miserable to you? So doesn't that like actually, like the, how exactly does he say that? Doesn't that diminish the true value of the reward? And he says, we can take the time to realize how much pull and power desire can have on us. And beyond the momentary pleasure this might provide us, it deprives us, deprives us of the deeper peace that we seek. Krishna in Bhagavad Gita calls desire the ever-present enemy of the wise, which, like a fire, cannot find satisfaction. Desires can never be satisfied. So what you're gonna do? Keep on feeding them? Are you gonna con or you're gonna control them and get the peace which you need, which you deserve? What we need then is a philosophy and a strong moral code, that sense of virtue to help us resist what we can and to give us the strength to pick ourselves back, back up when we fail and try to do better. And a really nice way to help with this is journaling. And here Ryan gives example of Saint Athanasius of Alexandria, that one of the benefits of journaling is confessions. Just write it down whenever you have a desire and write it. So here he gives a like really nice perspective. So you know how there every person has some things which he won't do in public because he's afraid of other people noticing him and judging him. But he would do that person things when no one's watching, like in person. So consider your journal. So whenever you do that, make a confession in your journal. So you'll actually get afraid of writing it down. And then you'll actually stop doing it, which was a really interesting take. Let's read this paragraph. Let us each note and write down our actions and impulses of the soul, as though we were to report them to each other. And you may rest assured that from the utter shame of becoming known, we shall stop sinning and entertaining sinful thoughts altogether, just as we would not give ourselves to lust within sight of each other. So if we were to write, if we were to write down our thoughts as if we were telling them to each other, we shall so much the more guard ourselves against the foul thoughts for shame of being known. Now then, let the written account stand for the eyes of the fellow ascetics, so that blushing at writing the same as if we were actually seen, we may never ponder evil. It's really interesting take about that. To have an impulse and to resist it, to sit with it, to examine it, to let it pass by like a bad smell, that is how we develop spiritual strength. That is how we become who we want to be in this world. Only they know that real pleasure lies in having a soul that's true and stable, happy and secure. Now let's move on to the next chapter titled Enough. 
History relates no instance in which a conqueror has been surfeited with the conquest. Stephen Zwick. Well, that's true. I have never read about any conqueror which got satisfied. Julius Caesar. Did Julius Caesar get satisfied? I don't think so. Who else? Genghis Khan? No. I don't know. The Great Alexander? No. So yeah, no one ever got satisfied. The writers Kurt, the author of Slaughterhouse-Five, and Joseph Heller, the author of Cash-22, were once at a party in a fancy neighborhood outside New York City, standing in the palladial second home of some billionaire. One naked began to needle his friend. Joe, he said, how does it feel that our host only yesterday may have made more money than your novel has earned in its entire history. Well, I've got something he can never have, Heller replied. And what on earth could that be? One could ask. The knowledge that I've got enough. That's really interesting. That The contentment, the satisfaction. Ask a millionaire, have you had enough? No, they still work insane amount. Like, they have so much money that they can live off so easily. Their children can live off so easily, but they still work. But this is not saying that you should stop working. But this is saying that you need to put a, have a contentment somewhere. Because if you're going to live your whole life without being content, then what's the purpose of living? Let's read this. So this was written by John Stuart Mill, the philosopher and the boy genius. So he said, it occurred to me to put the question directly to myself. Suppose that all your objects in life were realized, that all the changes in institutions and opinions which you are looking forward to could be completely affected at, the, at this very instant. Would this be a great joy and happiness to you? And an irresponsible self-conscious distinctly said, answer no. At this may, at this my heart sank within me. The whole foundation on which my life was constructed fell down. I mean, this is something I, like I talked about before too. Like, what if right now you get everything? Are you satisfied? And even if you ask me right now, I don't think so. I would say I'm satisfied because I haven't, I don't think so. I have developed that much power in my soul to say, to find what is enough. And it's a tough thing to find. Like, it's subjective someone will be satisfied at some place but you gotta find what you have to find what because unless you figure that out you'll never be able to find happiness most people never learn that their accomplishments will ultimately fail to provide the relief and happiness we tell ourselves they will this is it now what isn't that what we ask whenever we reach the finish line the need for of progress can be the enemy of enjoying the process there is no stillness for the person who cannot appreciate things as they are, particularly when that person has objectively done so much. The creep of more, more, more is like a hydra. The best insights of enough come to us from the East. When you realize there is nothing lacking, Lao Tzu says, the whole world belongs to you. The greatest misfortune is to not know contentment. The world calamity is the desire to acquire. And those who know the contentment of the contentment are always content. To have blessings and to prize them is to be in heaven. To have them and not to prize them is to be in hell. To prize them and not to have them is to be in hell. 
it was really interesting that how they put it that to have blessings and to prize them is to be in heaven to have them and not to prize them is to be in hell to prize them and not to have them is also to be in hell wow so here he talks about marco rubio yeah he was um making so he talked about an incident about marco rubio a senate he was uh, running for senate and he was making fundraising call in 2010 for his surprise senate bid while his three-year-old son snuck out the back door and fell into pool he heard the chime of the door opening assuming someone else was paying attention and returned to his important phone call a few minutes later he found his son floating face down in the pool barely breathing and even after this near tragedy he returned almost immediately to work his ambition like Lincoln's, a little engine that knew no rest. Only with distance could Rubio begin to see the cost of his drive. What important things we miss when we give ourselves over to it entirely. As he wrote, I think I understand now that the restlessness we feel as we make our plans and chase our ambitions is not the effect of the importance to our happiness and our eagerness to attain them. We are restless because deep in our hearts we know now that our happiness is found elsewhere and our work, no matter how valuable it is to us or to others, cannot take its place. But we hurry on anyway and, at, and attend to our business because we need to matter and we don't always realize that we already do. Wow. That's a really interesting take on it. Here he says, Ryan says, enough comes from inside. It comes from stepping off the train from seeing what you already have, what you have always had. I guess counting your blessings every day, that's a really interesting, I feel like that could help that to actually understand what I already have and what do I need more? Is it actually required? Do I actually need more? Killing ourselves does nothing for anybody. The way we work ourselves, following like a rat, following its tail, that does no one any good. No one. If everyone felt good, why would they keep trying so hard? That's true. Okay, he closes with this quote, this, just saying this, that they weren't doing it to prove anything. They didn't need to impress anyone. They were in the moment, the more their motivations was pure. The motivations were pure. So this I actually, so when I was reading this, how do you actually decide what's enough? And... Then when I thought about it for like 10 to 15 minutes, I come to know that it will be enough when your motivations are pure. So when people, they do something, when they just, when they do it for the love of it, that's different from a person who's participating into a competition for winning, right? Because there you have an ambition, you have a goal. I'm not saying being ambitious is wrong. I'm pretty ambitious too. But just following the ambition without realizing do you actually need it or not, that's wrong. And what do we want more of in life? That's the question. It's not accomplishments. It's not popularity. It's moments when we feel like we are enough. These moments count. Nothing else counts. More presence, more clarity, more insight, more truth, more stillness. And that's where we're going to end our episode six. Thank you all for tuning in. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care and stay healthy. Stay safe, guys.